Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of One Vision. Today, we are very honored to have Arlen Hamilton join us, and she's the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital. And for any of you who are active on social media, you would have seen her post.、Um, love her comments. If you haven't found her yet, I would encourage you guys to follow her. Welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me.、Um, you have a very, very curious. Um, background. Let's talk about your story a little bit.、Um, you've often told people in back in 2015, you were in footsteps, sleeping on the floor of SFO with nothing but an old laptop and a dream, a dream of breaking into the venture capital business. It's a very unusual story and an inspirational start, if you will. Can you walk us through a little bit about that journey and how you come to? Um, starting backstage capital where you are right now. So I'm、um, I'm 39. I live in、uh, Los Angeles now. Grew up in Texas and had all kinds of different gigs.、Um, and I guess I was always just really an entrepreneur at heart and, and didn't really know what to call myself. But that's the ultimate. You know, I've worked for other people my whole most of my life and、um, realized、uh, about nine years ago, as I turned 30 or right afterwards. That I was part of this tribe called a startup founder because I, I hadn't known what that was before. So I was、um, in Texas at that time, just getting to know、um, about the startup world, and I had done a lot of different projects in the past. So I thought, hey, I want to start a company.、Um, and in, in order to start a company, I knew that I needed to research to know what the different player, who the different players were, what the rules were, guidelines, all of that. Stumbled upon venture capital as a as a、um, finding funding if I if I wanted to go in that direction and that that research and that、uh, curiosity is what led me to understand that more than ninety percent of all venture capital goes to straight white men and when I learned that statistic and I started talking to other founders and was sort of stopped in my tracks by it I knew I had to do something I wanted to do something about that it was more of a a calling than Uh, than the actual company that I wanted to start had been. So, a few years, you know, of research and talking to so multiple people, asking multiple investors if they would、um, consider backing me to back others, and had gotten really nowhere. And around thirty four, so two thousand and fifteen, I flew from Texas to Silicon Valley to sell to to San Francisco in Silicon Valley, so I could even be. Closer to the people and see if I could raise there, and I ran out of capital really quickly. I didn't have much to begin with, and I found myself、um, needing a place to live or stay. I should say not live. I wasn't living, but to stay to crash without it being too open to the elements and without it being too dangerous. And to me, the airport was a good solution. It was not something that I want to,、um, you know, gl- glorify or suggest anyone else do, even in the pursuit of hustling, because it was not.、Uh, it was very、um, moralizing, and it's it's still dangerous, even though it was indoors. But that's where I found myself, and、um, I did that for a while and bounced around different places, was scraped together different amounts of money, and.、Um, Finally, after after years of just pursuing the fund itself in different ways,、uh, September 2015, I found myself with an investor named Susan Kimberlin, a woman who was an angel investor who I'd met a few year,、uh, sorry, a few months previous 
first got to Silicon Valley and she she gave me the first few thousand dollars to get going. And that was all I needed to really um, dive into what would become the craziest four and a half years of my life. So let's let's dive into that more a little bit. So you started with angel investment and you created this idea of funding entrepreneurs that that came from more diverse backgrounds. So we know that the stats are really grim. The the pipeline, is that the problem? So to tell us about the things that you look for and tell us about some of the companies in your portfolio you found. How did you start investing? Well, the part of it that the reason I, st- I started raising the fund to begin with and started even going in that direction was because there was no it wasn't a pipeline problem. Pipeline problem, usually they mean by that there are not enough people who, of a certain type to, to fill the needs. And to, you know, a lot of people would say a few years ago, they would actually say out loud <laughs> that, oh, there are not enough Black people starting companies. So that's why we don't invest in a lot of Black people. Or there are not enough women who start good, good enough companies. And that's why we don't invest in, in women. But the, that's just a myth. It's a, an excuse that a lot of people use. And maybe it started off as an ignorant, uh, unconscious bias. But by now, you know, and even when I started a few a few years ago, to me, there it, it, we couldn't all be calling ourselves adults in the free world and, and still thinking that somehow white, straight white men had the authority on all things uh, tech and all things uh, viable. It just didn't make any sense to me. So, so yeah, there was no pipeline problem because I was seeing a lot of these companies being built. They were just sort of being built in silos and they were being built in islands because they themselves didn't know that there are a lot of other people that were uh, building that were had their profiles as well. So it really was being able to just data collect and, 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 and talk to so many different people and say, you know what, I know you're doing this great thing here in St. Louis. You know, I know someone in San Francisco who's doing something great. I know someone in New York who's doing something in Dallas. Do you all know each other? And they didn't know each other. And so once that part, I saw how that part was so impactful, then maybe they did, if the founders were women, people of color, LGBTQ, didn't know that each other existed in the, in this great grand scale uh, at this, at this degree and this quality uh, of company, maybe it's true that some of the investors don't. So how about I do two things? How about I A, show some of these companies to other investors who may not have the same networks as I do into those companies, right? It's kind of like flipping the script. We're not trying to get to the country club. We're trying to bring the members of the country club to us to show like what you're missing out on. And then B, I don't want to be on the sidelines. I don't want to just be the person who said, hey, you all should connect because I there's a there's a talent and a skill to that. And so I want as well to have skin in the game. I want to write checks. I want to be someone who's on your cap table uh, and, and, and an investor in your company. So that's what I set out to do. And I, I would say that for years and, and put it into different perspectives and different packages and, and, and to different people. And it wasn't, the reason it wasn't resonating back then, I think, is because 
Right now, it's easy to say, well, of course, diversity is is what we talk about all the time. And of course, I can't go anywhere without hearing the word diversity. But five years ago, we weren't talking about it the way that we talk about it today. Seven years ago, it was in hushed tones to talk about the difference between a, a woman's perspective in tech and a, and a man's and, and fundraising. And so that that was the terrain in which I was navigating the time and therefore it seemed very foreign to the people who were hearing it from me. So that's what it took. It took finding you know, this person little by little to start to even imagine that what I was saying uh, could turn into something valuable rather than just be a problem. So when you when you started investing, were you thinking also along the lines of particular verticals? Like, you know, what what type of things do you invest in then? So when I started investing, I said, and when I started raising, which was years prior, I said, let me let me not go out there and pretend to be some sort of expert in any vertical because I am not at this point, at that point, right? What I want to do is is go with what I know and what I know were the the people that uh, reflected what I am. And I'm a woman, I'm a person of color and I'm LGBTQ. And the way I figured it is I'll learn about the other markets. I'll learn about the the verticals. I'll learn about these other companies, but I know this. So that's where I started. So that's where it really is. So if you look at our portfolio of now, we're at 130 companies all told in four and a half years since that first angel check. If you look at our companies, they run the gamut between, you know, there may be a fintech uh, uh, company, there may be a SaaS uh, software as a service company, a be- several beauty companies, several uh, deep tech companies, uh, AI and and all, and hardware, all sorts of different types of companies all across the country and some in the UK, because we opened up an accelerator there, and they are it's uh, we call ourselves agnostic by design which is really just meaning that we have we 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 have a, a wide net now what has happened over time uh, just as i kind of predicted in, in the moment i wasn't able to predict everything but i could predict this is that i could just learn so much about so many things and really let the founders and their companies tell me in their success and in their hard work and all of that, those were the variables that were going to tell me which way to go. Uh, and then, so you just have this really beautiful um, set of companies. If you go to backstagecapital.com slash headliners, we call our portfolio companies headliners to our backstage. If you go to backstagecapital.com slash headliners, you'll see the majority of those companies listed. Uh, we put them by their photographs too to show that representation. And and these are real, there are a lot of really deep, deeply technical companies in that portfolio that I think surprises people sometimes because people still have a little stigma and they still think, oh, you're you're doing things that are you know that are nice to have. We're talking about some of these companies are are global. Some of these companies are going to be life-changing. Some of them we're finding out, I mean, right now in this uh you know in this pandemic and the age of coronavirus there are several companies in our portfolio who are actually going to be life-changing life-saving etc
So let's switch gear a little bit. Um, from that on, you have a new book coming out. Yeah, it's called It's About Damn Time. Can you give our audience and I love the title? <laughs> Can you give our audience um, a sneak preview on what that book is about? I know it's coming out soon. Yeah, so the book mm -hmm. is It's About Damn Time. Um, it's a it's my darling right now because it, it really is. I, I, I kind of treated it the way I treated the fund. I, I went into it um, with a bit of a uh, little bit of ignorance on purpose and a whole lot of curiosity. And I just wanted to create the book that would have helped me five years ago when I was sitting on that floor of the airport, you know, and so many books during that time, by the way, that nine starting nine years ago when I was doing all the research, I mean, you'll, you'll see about it in the book. I do all this research. So many of those books were very helpful, but they were all again, written by straight white men. And you'll notice that in a lot of business cases, Thankfully, now in the last year or so, more and more books have come out from uh, business books have come out from diverse groups. But I wanted to see the book that I would have would have helped me. And so it is not a, a straightforward memoir because I still have a lot of life to live and I'll have that one day. But it is a lot of anecdotes and a lot of like it's really transparent. Some of it is very vulnerable and, and you know, not super flattering. And, and some of it's funny and some of it is uh, almost unbelievable uh, if there hadn't been witnesses around. Um, but it's it, all of it, every chapter and every section is meant as a t to have takeaways. And what I'm hearing from people who have um, read advanced copies of people that I've known for years and people that I've never met, what I'm hearing them say is that um, no matter what type of company they work at or own or if they are like a cashier or if they're an artist or anything, they're getting different pieces from it because it's so uh, relatable uh, across threads, which I, to me is like music to my ears. That's just like w one of the most flattering things you could say to me is that it doesn't matter what your background is or your current situation or your job but you're finding something that you relate to here because um, as you'll see in some of the, like even a whole, a whole section of the book, I'm all about connecting and, and um, collaboration and things that connect people worldwide. It's really exciting to me. So it's wonderful to hear that. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. Yeah, I, I, I think that was the one thing that resonated to me too. And especially in times like this, you said something in there that there is no such thing as self-made. Um, we all have some help along the way, right? So we need to be humble. We need to acknowledge the help that we get. And we need to thank the people around you. There's always that myth that, you know, we are all self-made. We don't need anyone else. And look how far we've come. And, and the truth can be further away from that. Of course, we need grits. We need to work really hard. We need to go for it. Um, but there's always angels somewhere around us. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, and I don't mean, I mean, a lot of people um, s s use the term self-made for themselves or for other people as a, as a compliment, and I, and I do think it's a compliment. I'm not saying that it's a, a bad thing to say, but I just think if we break down what the, what the phrase really means, self-made, I just don't, I've never in my nearly 40 years and having met thousands and thousands of people, I've never met anyone uh, from from me working, you know, uh, nine to five to the millionaires and the billionaires that I now know and, and speak with on a daily basis. I've never met one person, not met one person who just did it all on their own. There are so many um, of us. And, and, and I, I had to kind of break down this myth for myself, too, because, um, you know, I've had a lot of press uh, over the last three or so years that kind of builds me up as this really um, self-made person, like really from rags to riches or whatever, however you want to frame it, because you hear that story of, of where I went and I've now raised more than $10 million and invested in all these companies. But I, I couldn't let that, even that go to my head because it's just, Absolutely, I will take credit for the vision. I will take credit for executing like crazy. But you, th th this, there was my mother who was on the phone with me when I was crying on the floor. <laughs> there were there. My wife was there when when I had no money before we we were married, and 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 she sent me twenty dollars so I could eat. I mean. There are people, Susan Kimberlin, who put that first twenty-five thousand in and said, "Hey, go do something with this. I, I believe in you." Those those stories are are multiplied across all of our lives, and it doesn't matter. Even if you feel like you're someone who's been um, uh, left uh, left behind, I, I often felt that way in the past, and I've more recently felt that way. You know, when you get disappointed by something or you feel like you're left out, even then you can find someone who did something for you. So so I'm going to go back to something that you had said earlier, because I'm just, I'm sitting here, like, ready to read. It's about damn time. Uh, I tell you, it sounds like a very great story. And you're right. I mean, I don't think anybody uh, can get through life without the help of someone. I mean, my goodness, especially in this business. Um, you you had us go out, uh, I'm going to remember the, the URL here, backstagecapital.com slash headliners. And I went out there. And the first thing I would say that I noticed is that these are people, these aren't logos. And it's probably the first time I've ever gone out to a venture site and looked at a group of portfolios and sat there smiling, imagining like the conversations that you had when you discovered these companies. These are people right. running these businesses. These are people that are helping others. These are people that you believe in. Um, we are going through very unprecedented times with this virus. Um, what are you telling your founders and the companies that you've invested in? Because we, we continue to hear you know, stories that there may be layoffs or there are layoffs happening. What, what are you advising your portfolio companies now? We had layoffs at Backstage. This hit immediately and it hit deep. And it, it's, um, it's unprecedented, as we all know. I, I wake up every morning super optimistic and it freaks me out <laughs> I'm like why am I so optimistic right now I have gone through some ups and downs these past few weeks that I can't even describe in the time we have but I am still optimistic and what I do is we keep very close 
ties with our founders uh, on, a, on, a, on a grand scale. We, we write to them, we talk with them in Slack, we, we have backstage chats, we keep them informed, we offer them things because all at once, dozens and dozens of companies in our portfolio found themselves in a lot of trouble. Some of them, like I said earlier, have found themselves in a position where they're able to actually soar, you know, thrive because they are providing something um, in this time. But it really does come back to the humanity of it. I'll even say that in the book where it's, it is about humanity. I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't have been able to withstand all of the stuff that got me here if I wasn't doing this for other people in mind, like with other people in mind, knowing the impact it would have. And today, when I wake up every day and I'm like, why am I so optimistic? It's because I have, I can go to the, I go to that website. I go to backstagecapital.com when I'm feeling low to remind me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's because Wow, you you can't tell me that the the people you know if you, as you click on their pictures and you read about what they're doing that they d- didn't deserve a chance at something. And so I try to remind them, our portfolio, our headliners. I try to remind them that they are here for a reason, and to remember that reason and that it will get them through this time. And think about. Um, some of the hardest things they've gone through, a lot of them have gone through a lot already before coronavirus. And to tap into that, that strength that got them through that for now. Uh, because I know, I also know a lot of people who have been quite privileged most of their lives who are having a really hard time right now, hoping they have money in the bank, unlike a lot of people, other people I know. But they are having a hard time coping with this new normal because they didn't have that training ground, unfortunate as it was, as some of us with adversity. So I say you tap, no matter who you are, you can tap into a place that you've been before um, if you can. And if this is your first time ever facing this, I'm, I'm actually quite glad because I don't wish this on anyone. Um, but if it's your first time just knowing that we're all in it together, like we're all facing this together, there's no one immune to this. And um as a, as a group we are uh, i'm gonna it, it may be a weird phrase to say at this point but i will say we're too big to fail as a group we will get through this we've gotten through things in the past um and research is is helpful too when you research things that have happened in the past it tells you okay i we we can, we'll make it through as a, as a species we'll, we'll get through this as well And, and yes, I think we will, because um, we are in it together. Unfortunately, I think one of the things that we saw through the crisis is the inequalities that we had before. It just becomes even more visible, right? The ones that cannot afford to work from home because they have to go to work. That's the only way to bring food on the table. The ones that you know have no other options for childcare or caring for their aging parents, um, you know, through this episode. Um, ones that, you know, have no broadband at home. It, it actually took me by surprise. Four million households in the United States with school-age children do not have access mm. to broadband, something that we, we you know, many of us take for granted, right? They say, oh, school's closed. That's fine. Just, you know, get your learning yep. in school at, at home. But you don't have access to computer. You don't have access to broadband. And it, it just lays everything out so bare that our world, the richest country, 
in the whole world is still so damn unequal. And it pisses me off, and it makes me really sad in a lot of ways. How do we get out from this? How do we recover from this? What, what, what can we do, or what should we have done? Well, I can't talk about what we should have done. I think most people are talking about what we should have done. Um, we're, we're past that now. We can, we should talk about that, though. We should keep that in mind so we don't make the same mistakes again. Uh, but just yesterday, I, uh, I I partnered with a group. My nonprofit is called Cover Project Cover org, and we partnered with a group called HBCU.VC to uh we we donated ten thousand dollars to hbcus which are historically black colleges and universities across the country whose students um some of them um have reached out and said that they didn't have a, a laptop or they didn't have the broadband access and they needed to order it and things like that and so that will go about six hundred dollars at a time to those students and and um that's that's the kind of foundation of it and we're raising more I think it's about doing what you can individually in the moment and like being your best self and putting your best self forward. Um, because if we think about it, like, like that question, what, what do we do? How does this fix? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know if most people do. I know that there's a few people like Fauci, you know, he knows what to do, but can he, can he make that happen? I think it's a, it's, if we look at it like that, it's just this mountain that's insurmountable uh, and, and it's, it's too much for uh, our mere humans to handle. But if we think about what can we individually do today to make someone's life a little easier or even to make ourselves a little bit stronger, a little bit more safe so that tomorrow we can make someone's life a little bit more easy. And I mean, literally tomorrow, not a new day, right? I think if we do that day to day, I think that's where you, when you, that all adds up and you're seeing people do that. And um, that's where I would start if I, if I, especially if I were someone who didn't have a ton of confidence or didn't think I had a lot of resources, I would just start with one. Like, is there one person I can call who I know may be lonely, like an older person, they may be lonely or scared. Can I just call them and let, let them talk to me for 30 minutes when normally I would be impatient with them? Can I just do that for a day, you know, once a day for someone? I think little things like that add up in such major impactful ways that we may not ever even really realize uh, until years from now, but that's that's where I would start. Little individual actions matters, kindness matters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think in a way, the, the virus brings us back and do a reset to how we're supposed to behave as a human, how, what our responsibilities are towards our society and towards each other. So thank you so much for your time today, Arlen. Yeah. And for our listeners, um, go follow Arlen on Twitter. If you aren't already, Arlen was here. And watch out for her book. It's about damn time. I think you can pre-order right now, right? You can get uh, It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us today.